uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. It's money and adventure and fame. It's the thrill of a lifetime and a long sea voyage that starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. No, wait. I... I don't understand. You must tell me. I do want the job, so, but I, I can't... Oh, I see. No, you've got me wrong. This is strictly business. Well, I only wanted sure. to... Sure. Sure you did. I got a little excited and I forgot you didn't understand. Listen, I'm Carl Denham. Ever hear of me? Yes. Yes. You make moving pictures in jungles and places. That's right. And I picked you for the lead in my next picture. We sail at six. Where to? A long way off. And listen, Ann, I'm on the level. No funny business. What do I have to do? Just trust me and keep your chin up. You'll be out for hours. Send to the ship for anchor chains and tools. What are you going to do? I'll build a raft to float them to the ship. Why, the whole world will pay to see this. No chains will ever hold that. We'll give them more than chains. He's always been king of his world, but we'll teach him fear. We're millionaires, boys. I'll share it with all of you. Why, in a few months, it'll be up in lights on Broadway. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world! Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be visiting the eighth wonder of the world, the king of Kong. Before Donkey Kong, before Peter Jackson, there was a little movie back in the 30s called King Kong. Straight away, let's kick it over to my friend and yours, Chief Engineer Bob. Yeah, it's been definitely a week of Kong watching all these movies and realizing what kind of uh, effect they had and on quite a few people in Hollywood. But it all started back in 1933 with Marion C. Cooper and Ernest Schoedzak. And uh, their little idea for a monkey attacking New York. But uh, Marion C. Cooper basically had this idea long before he came up with Kong. In fact, back then, they had just discovered Komodo dragons. So he was like, man, what if I could get a gorilla to fight a Komodo dragon and film it? Because they were, he and Shosak were. Uh, basically documentary filmmakers back in World War One, And so, you know, he had all mm-hmm. these bright ideas. But that eventually morphed its way into King Kong. And uh, before Kong, there was basically The Lost World, which was a, right. a silent film. And uh, Willis O'Brien had done the dinosaur effects. 
So they definitely thought, well, we're going to bring Willis O'Brien in. And they used a lot of those to kind of pitch this to RKO. Now, RKO back then was basically right on the brink of bankruptcy. So they ended up buying into the idea and giving Cooper and Shodzak and O'Brien like $500,000 to make the movie, which back then was a pretty high budget and a big gamble. And a big gamble for a studio that's basically out of money, going Mm -hmm. bankrupt. And so they ran with it. And uh, the movie actually did so well, the box office, it pulled RKO out of bankruptcy. And they were able to go on for a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically they had the big, they had a big premiere in New York. They also had a premiere at Groman's Chinese Theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you notice in a few shots in King Kong, they had that huge Kong bust. Right. Which was all, you know, practically life size. They had that out in the courtyard of Groman's Chinese. And of course, Fay Ray was there and Bruce Cabot and everybody else. And uh, yeah, it was a big premiere. And I guess the rumor has it, and I don't know, you know, people have said different things, but supposedly during that premiere, it had all of the scenes that were cut later of Kong stepping on the natives and chewing them in, their, in his mouth and mm-hmm. all that. It also had the spider pit sequence. Oh. Which when uh, Kong is like rolling the log back and forth and all the, all the crewmen mm-hmm. fall off the log into the gorge, it was supposed to cut to a scene there where they were attacked by all these giant spiders and insects that were down there in the gorge. And they felt that was too, too violent, along with all the stepping on natives and chewing on people. <laughs> and uh, so they cut all that. And it wasn't until the 50s, a release in the 50s, where they added some of it back. And then the 50th anniversary of Kong, when it was shown, I think, on Turner Classic Movies and syndication, they added everything back in, except for the spider pit sequence, which supposedly is lost. Yeah. Now, I know if you watch the Peter Jackson Kong on that disc, they recreate the spider pit sequence. And in his movie, they have a sequence similar to that. But as far as the original, everybody keeps, you, you hear all these rumors every once in a while that, oh, it showed up. Somebody found it. It was on somebody's floor somewhere, you know, whatever. And uh, <laughs> but so far, it has right. not, as far as I know, it has not surfaced. But, um, but yeah, Kong, I mean, I remember, of course, watching it back. I know we, we should, I should just pre-tape this, but um, watching it on Creature Features with Bob Wilkins. And, uh, yeah, it was just an amazing film. And you have to think, you know, back in 33, that was the first kind of special effects extravaganza movie right. that had come out. Mm-hmm. So anyone who was old enough back then to appreciate, you know, and we're talking like, you know, uh, people like Ray Harryhausen and right. uh, Forrest J. Ackerman and Bob Burns and, you know, all these different people. Peter Jackson yeah, wasn't around back then, but it obviously had an effect on him later. <laughs> but um, they were all just blown away by this movie. And uh, now, you know, you watch it now and if you put yourself in that time, you can definitely appreciate it and you can be 
you know, for the spectacle that it is. But if you look at it through today's eyes, you know, the, the effects, you know, it's basically stop motion animation, you know, the little Kong puppet running around. And, but, but if you look at the emotion that was put into that, that uh, Kong puppet, which mm-hmm. was like, I think he was like 18 inches tall or something. It's just amazing. And all the, all the little subtleties, like when he's fighting the T-Rex and he rips his jaw and then he kind of plays with it a little bit yeah. and checks him out and draw, you know, and this the interaction between him and Fay Ray or Andero. Uh, it's just amazing. I just, it's, it's basically always been put in the top 100 or top 50 films of all time whenever they release those mm-hmm. lists and uh, deservedly so. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, and you made a good point, Bob. Up to that point, RKO and, and any of the other studios at the time, nothing was ever really done on, on this scale. And I remember watching, I, I think I watched it on Dialing for Dollars. <laughs> <laughs> good old, well, on Pat McCormick or Bob March? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Pat McCormick. Oh, uh, okay. But, um,. Yeah, with, with today's CGI and, and, you know, all that, okay, it, it, it is, the look of Kong is dated, but it's a classic look. I, um, we all recently watched it, and I, I still love that movie. I mean, that's, that's my favorite of all the iterations. The 76 Kong, which we'll talk about later, is a, is a close second, but, um, Well, I, I think, know. you know, all, just, the, all um, the iterations of Kong since then none of them have really captured the charm that the first movie did or the personality they've tried to you know yeah. fuse a personality into kong but you know it was that first movie that really caught lightning well, in a bottle right. i had a real change in feelings about kong when i saw it again on the dvd after they had that you know 75th anniversary uh oh release in around 2008 it was funny because i remember i i wrote an essay about it and they put it in the um the program for san diego comic-con that year um because i was so like flabbergasted like you said bob about the stomping on people and the chomping on people i had never seen that before i'd been watching Kong since I was a little kid on TV and he had always been like my little hero you know he was so mistreated and uh, you know I, I would always you know oh you know I want to when I grew up it was the same thing with like Frank the Frankenstein monster you know I just felt like these these were my friends you know and and I remember sitting there watching that DVD and all of a sudden he's you know he breaks through the wall and uh, and he throws this guy in his mouth, and I was like, "What? Wait, what?" And I had to like <laughs> rewind the thing and look at it, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's like chewing on this guy!" And then of course he goes through the village, he chews on some more people, he stomps on people like grapes, and I was like, "I've never seen this movie before. What is going on?" And it it kind of blew my mind, and and uh, you know, and there were more scenes in when he gets to New York where I think they had cut things too, where he would like pull women out of the buildings and look at them and then just kind of toss them, you know, just yeah. like. Throw yeah. Them. Yeah. There was, was that like, one woman that he, he's, he's climbing up and he, he's, she's blonde. So he reaches in and grabs right. her, realizes she's not Andero and just drops her. You know, you yeah. see her Oof. falling. Ah! 
So it it kind of rejiggered my my synapses because I was like, okay, he's not quite the little friendly pal that I always had in my head. Maybe the cartoons influenced some of that too. Uh, but yeah, I came away from that thinking, okay, you know, he he was not. You know, it was sad that they took him away from the island. He needed to stay on the island. They should never have messed with him. But by the time he climbed the Empire State Building, it was sort of like, yeah, they got to put him down. He was sort of like a, the mad dog. It was like, it was a sad situation all the way around. But he sort of had, there was only one way the story could end, right? And that's why it's a tragedy. Um, so it was interesting seeing that again with the scenes that had been taken out and kind of coming to a different conclusion also being an adult and seeing it um and uh just seeing such a different face to the that kong that i had known all those years you know uh, i'll never get over those that foot just stomping and stomping i was like whoa that's oh, yeah, he, he just like drives them into the mud oh yeah i was just like but uh, the other thing though i think is interesting about the original Kong, and we're, we're going to talk about the other iterations, but Anne never develops feelings towards Kong. She is always terrified. The, the Faye Ray version is always terrified of Kong, uh, you know, in, in the original. She's always screaming, always afraid of Kong. And when we move to the later iterations, there's more of that Beauty and the Beast kind of thing going on where she has at least sympathy, if not some outright feelings for Kong. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. And I don't know if that's just a, uh, you know, the, the nature of the times or what, but, uh, I wondered if you guys had noticed that too, watching the different films this last couple of weeks. Well, no, I know like Dino De Laurentiis definitely wanted to play up the beauty and the beast and the relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, yeah, I think if you really look at it, Realistically, Andero or Fay Ray is probably the most realistic portrayal. I mean, say what you will about how nice this big monkey is. If there was like a <laughs> 60 foot gorilla that kept grabbing you and picking you up and poking at you, and everything, I think you'd be kind of scared. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, it is, it is kind of kind of interesting but I agree with you guys I I love the effects and I love the way they layered things with the um, projection screens Mm -hmm. Uh, that was one thing I was noticing this time a lot the use of different projection screens whether you know rear or or front projection or what have you to put people in the scenes well it's it's definitely like you have the projections but you also have glass plates yeah because they would basically Wilson O'Brien would create depth by putting ba- painting like leaves and trees mm-hmm. and things on these glass plates, putting them at different intervals, and then shooting through the plates to the models, and then having you know rear projecting that to have the people in the foreground. And uh, yeah, it's definitely you know if you watch it, especially you know on Blu-ray or whatever, you definitely get that depth. The only thing I'll say about the Blu-ray though is it also brings out the grain of the film. So yeah. when you watch it, there are some scenes that are just really grainy. So it's almost like it's too sharp on the Blu-ray. Yeah, maybe the D. I should I should go back and look at the DVD. I've got the DVD. I also have a UK uh, release of the DVD, and uh, I'll have to go back and look at those and see if they're as grainy as as the Blu-ray was. 
You know, this is relates to nothing, but I did notice when they were talking about uh, the map they got of Skull Island, they said that it was uh, from a group of Norwegians and there was only one survivor. And I was thinking, this is like the thing. <laughs> it, you know, Carpenter's thing, right? A bunch of Norwegians. And so I don't know if he... have been the thing. Who knows? <laughs> well, you meet, you meet that survivor, though, in uh, Son of Kong. The guy who gave him the map. I didn't rewatch Son of Kong. Okay. Oh, yes. I don't know. Should we move on to Son of Kong or we got more King Kong talk here? Real, real uh, quickly, before we move on, I, I what struck me is uh, how poorly treated Kong was. Obviously, in all the movies, they, they kidnap him. And, you know, he's like a god, so he has little or no disregard for us. He's tossing us left and right. He's stepping on us. But he never really went out of the way hurt anyone on the island it was after he you know got the hots for Fay ray that he started chasing her around new york and everywhere but you know the human characters had little or no regard for kong either i thought and it was just this mutual like well carl denham did wow <laughs> well <laughs> that's, yeah, that's they, a discussion to be had but they should have been left apart right it was like yeah. he needed to be in his place and we needed to stay and i'll ask you this though why in each iteration of these movies they, so they have the wall to keep mm -hmm. kong separated from the village right and in most in most cases it's assumed the wall is like ancient right why is there a giant door is there ever a time they want to invite kong on the other side I mean, this is, doesn't make any well, sense usually they use the door to bring the woman out there but yeah they could use a little door for that yeah you don't need a big door because it's usually the door that door. he crashes through yeah so there's no reason to have the giant door unless there's some reason to bring Kong through maybe in ancient times I don't know that, that time we had Lord Bloodraw on for Planet of the Apes and he was talking about <laughs> and your mind was blown because you never considered that my mind is officially blown. That's a great point. <laughs> well, I think when the tankers come in with those huge deliveries of bananas, they probably have to like have some big, you know, <laughs> dock doors to basically bring those through. Bring the bananas. But yeah, why would you want a giant door? I don't know. So the it big just occurred banana to Banana deliveries. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Well, like I say, I mentioned Carl Denham and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, really good portrayal, probably the best portrayal of Denim uh, by Robert Armstrong. And uh, basically, he is the carryover character, one of the carryover characters, into uh, Son of Kong. Because Son of Kong kicks off with Carl Denim in his apartment, and he's broke because he's being sued and all that for all the destruction that Kong caused, and they want him to pay all the bills for... A devastated New York and basically he's got process servers that keep knocking on his door and trying to get in and you know serve him these things so finally uh, Charlie the cook from the ship in King Kong oh yeah he comes in he gets in there and tells him that uh, Captain Inglehorn wants to see him so he has a proposition so he gets one of the uh, more sympathetic process servers who really likes him because he's been keeping him in business for the last, you know, however long, 
I think it's been a month right. since Kong devastated New York. And uh, he helps smuggle him out of his apartment and down to the docks, and he gets on board the ship where Captain Inglehorn wants to... Ba- he's basically in the same boat, no pun intended, as Denim. So, you know, they decide to, to go off and basically be runners, you know, and basically move cargo from place to place. And, of course, that eventually leads them back to Skull Island. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely more of a comedy, especially with Little Kong, that everybody refers to as Kiko, and they never did in the movie. Yeah. But I guess K.I. from King and K.O. from Kong. And, uh, oh, that's why. And nobody mm. really explains, like, was there a Queen Kong or... Is this just another of his species? Is he adopted? You know, where is he? Where did he come? And why is he a white ape and not a black ape? That's what I was going to say. Why has he got white fur? I guess just to distinguish him from Kong. It's like the baby Godzilla paradox. That's right. (laughs) But uh, all by himself. Yeah. But I mean, the amazing thing, though, is that RKO greenlit Son of Kong like a month before King Kong hit the theaters. Hmm. And but they didn't know how well Kong was going to do, so they only gave uh, Cooper and and uh, Shosak and O'Brien like two hundred fifty thousand to make it. So it was like half the budget of King Kong, but it was still a pretty good budget for back then. And they also gave them like seven months to complete it. So it was a lower budget and a much quicker. Because uh, I think Kong took like two years to do. So much quicker schedule. Yeah, say what you will. I mean, it was it was a pretty good film for for what it was, and you know, a quick cash in on Kong, I guess. Yeah, it came out pretty soon after Kong. Didn't yeah, well, it came out in the same year, nineteen thirty three. Kong was like March, yeah. and I think uh, Son of Kong was like November, December. That's crazy. That's like having a Star Wars movie and then another one eight months later wow look at Toho they were cranking out Godzilla movies some two three a year back in the 60s jeez apparently Sun didn't do that well because we never got Son of Sun Grandson grandson of Kong direction the Grand Son of Kong yeah Son of a Gun (laughs) but so Karen didn't watch it Larry did you watch Son of Kong Uh, I did not I have seen it though and one of the things that I remember, you know, in the original Kong was his facial expressions, especially when he'd see Fei Ray, he'd get, you know, googly eyes and whatever. This son of Kong had much more facial expression um, to me than than, you know, his dad. And, and it was it was comedy, comedy, because the facial expressions were kind of like googly eyes and, you know, kind of like he almost smiled in some scenes, I thought. Well, he had that one part where he... Uh He's fighting that one dinosaur and he like hurts his finger and he's like, yeah. you know, sucking on his finger and, you know, showing it to, to denim and, and, uh, the girl and, you know, they ended up bandaging it and, uh, yeah, it was kind of like pulling the thorn out of the lion's paw or whatever. I guess mm-hmm. they were friends after that, yeah. but, uh, no, it was a fun little film. It's only like, I think it was like, it was less than 90 minutes. I'm pretty sure it was like 70, 80 minutes, mm. something like that. You know, I found it interesting, too, after, you know, there's Denim getting sued by the greater 
um, municipalities of New York. Why would he go back? What you know? I don't know. He didn't go back. I, 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 he got out of. He got out of there. And they were they were on the high seas, basically, you know, shipping cargo back and forth. But then they ended up uh, going back to Skull Island. I can't. Oh, they, that's right, because the the original guy who gave him the map basically is found on one of their runs and he tells Denim there's a treasure on the island so Denim decides okay we're gonna go get this treasure we'll split it and then I can pay off all my bills and everything would be great and of course the guy you know they get to the island and the guy was quote lying about the treasure but there turns out to be one there anyway because at the end Denim actually gets the girl and uh, he ended up saving some of the jewels in his uh in his shirt because the island like there's a big earthquake and the island's sinking that's when Kiko or Son of Kong has denim in his hand and he's holding him up as the island sinks and all you see is this hand in the middle of the ocean holding denim when they have to go rescue him I forgot that scene I, uh, I guess I <laughs> see you guys should watch the movie again it's, it's actually pretty good I enjoyed it, it put it on the to-do list but, uh, you know, before we get to the newer Kongs, you know, one experience that I had was when Keith Aiken and I <clears throat> went to Bob Burns' place. And we were, like, rummaging through his basement and all his, uh, his props and things that he has. And we knew that he had the Kong armature. And uh, it wasn't down there. So eventually he brought us up into his living room. And there on the mantle was the Kong armature and the mighty Joe Young armature. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the fur and the skin and whatever is all gone. They, they had it, it was all rotted, so they had it all taken off. All they have is the uh, the armature, where the, which is all the, right. the metal and the ball pinions and everything else. And uh, we were taking pictures of it and say, like, wow, this is like, it was like some huge Holy Grail moment. And uh, he goes, well, uh, here, let me take it off. So you can, let me put it on the table here so you can get better pictures. Oh my God, he's moving it. He's touching it. Wow. And then uh, we took all these pictures and he goes, Oh, you want to hold it? And we're like, Oh, okay. So we're holding, I'm holding Kong and Keith's taking a picture. I'm thinking, Man, if I drop this thing, I am so screwed. <laughs> this is like movie history in my hands if I drop it. So we, you know, we took pictures with Kong and with Joe Young. And then they were on the table there and. We, that kind of morphed somehow into Keith and I posing them and putting them in battle positions and like we were playing with toys on the table there. And then, <laughs> you know, and then I kind of realized dawn on us later that, Oh shit, we're, we're playing with Kong <laughs> and mighty <laughs> Joe Young. This is amazing. Yeah. Bob brought those to monster Palooza. I don't know if it was the first or second year we went Larry and mm-hmm. they had a big Kong panel and, uh, at the end of the panel, they brought out a big sheet cake for everybody to celebrate Kong's birthday. And then he said, well, if you want to come up and get your picture taken with the armature, you, you, you can do it. And, you can, and he let everybody hold the, the armature at the base. We didn't get to pose it, so we didn't ha- get to have as much fun as you did. <laughs> well, <hey. laughs> but we, we got to hold the, the armature, and I know I've got a picture somewhere with it. And I think we took Larry's picture with it. But yeah, it was so cool to see the arm, actual armature. And, uh, yeah, and later on, I went to the Forest J. Ackerman, the, the Acker condo. We never made it to the Acker mansion. But he had the brontosaurus 
uh, how much you're there. But uh, yeah, I know it was just amazing bit of history. Now I know when Peter Jackson had the premiere of his movie in New York, he flew Bob Burns out there with the armature so he could Ooh. hold it in his lap as he watched the premiere. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a mystical yeah, experience. Pretty much allowed Bob to pay off the loan on his home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob Burns, man, uh, he had enough stuff in his house that he could uh, easily just pay it all off and live luxuriously for the rest of his life. Just sell it all. Yeah, you know, this is totally off the subject, but uh, this is unfortunately what happened with uh, Flory. You know, all the stuff that he had that is Hollywood-like history, a lot of it wound up going into, like, dumpsters and stuff when he, you know, I guess some of it was stolen. Well, a lot, of, a lot of it was sold off when he uh, was in the hospital. And sold off to pay his hospital bills. And uh, when we went to Bob Burns' place, he, Burns was telling us that it, he had to go in and inventory all of Forey's stuff. And oh, as wow. he was doing that, he said most of the paper products, like posters and stills and and what what have you, pr uh, press books, were all fake. Because Forey would lend them out to people doing book, making books and things, and they would just make copies and send him back the copies, and they oh, they would yeah. keep his originals. Wow. So a lot of his paper product was not real. Yeah, it was basically copies. That's terrible. So sad. There was a story that Bob Burns was telling at one of the conventions where a friend of his gave him a call. They had found the time machine from the movie The Time Machine in like a Goodwill or something. And it was in disrepair and whatever. And they're like, you know, they want like a thousand dollars for it or whatever. So they loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. No, uh, they ended up getting it and restoring it. You know, Bob has all his friends, you know, in the industry. But how stuff like that winds up in a thrift store, I, I don't well, know. Well, the older just, films, no one cared. Basically, studios would get done with with a movie and they just throw stuff out or it would get just stuffed back in a prop room somewhere. And it was later on when it actually became collectible. But hey, back to Kong. Which movie are we going to move on to? I guess to we're this? progressing up to 76. No, I well, actually, I I missed two. Can't just go right to 76. We had two big movies in the 60s. King mm -hmm. Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes. Oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> Don't go passing those up now. <laughs> I, I I didn't. See In anything. fact, one is for oh, a I, is up for a huge remake that's coming out next year. I, I always enjoyed those two, so, although I didn't rewatch them this time around. Well, do you know the the story behind King Kong versus Godzilla? Well, I know there was a time where they wanted to do uh, King Kong versus Frankenstein. Yeah, basically Willis O'Brien, who felt he owned the rights to King Kong, wanted to do King Kong versus Frankenstein. And basically, it would be a huge Frankenstein because he had to be of Kong proportions. It, eventually, he dropped that idea for King Kong versus Prometheus. So... Basically, he was trying to get this thing sold. So along came Jerry Beck, who uh, basically was helping him shop the idea around 
to different studios unsuccessfully. And uh, he ended up finally going to tow. But in the meantime, RKO stepped in and said, no, 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 we still own Kong. And so somewhere along the line, Willis O'Brien was kind of phased out of this thing. And uh, RKO had the Kong rights and and uh, Beck had gone to Toho and Toho said, well, you know, we like the idea. We want to do this, but we'd rather put Godzilla in there instead of Prometheus or whatever. So, of course, Beck just wanted money. He said, hey, no problem. And Toho basically worked it out with RKO, paid them a licensing fee and off they went, made King Kong versus Godzilla. To this day, if you adjust for inflation, that's still the highest grossing Godzilla film of all time. Mm. So That makes sense to me because you got a, another big name in there. Like oh, King definitely. Kong. But, you know? uh, but then as we kind of progress into the 60s, what came up next was actually uh, Rankin Bass and their King Kong cartoon. I guess. You guys grew up with that or no? I did see that cartoon. I yeah. have only I have a few memories of it, but I remember watching it. Some some episodes song. are available on DVD. There's like two volumes. It's not all the episodes that were done, but uh, but if you go on uh, YouTube and you search for King Kong versus Mechanic Kong cartoon, there is an actual episode of the cartoon where he fights a mechanical double Hmm. and the main villain of the cartoon was Doctor Who (laughs) so Rankin Bass had wanted to make a live action movie based on the cartoon they approached Toho who at the time wanted to make another Kong film in fact if you've seen Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster that was originally supposed to be Kong And so, you know, when Rankin Bass approached them about the uh, cartoon, making a movie out of the cartoon, they basically threw Godzilla into Godzilla vs. Sea Monster and made a whole new movie with Kong, which was King Kong Escapes. In Doctor Who, is this of the Gallifreyan Who's? Oh, heck no. (laughs) It's not that that other imitation Doctor Who. This is, you know, the the, the villain Doctor Who. Ah, thank you for the clarification. uh, they brought in Ace Amamoto, which was a uh, who was a very cool uh, character actor in Japan. He portrayed Doctor Who. They brought in Rex Reason, and he uh, basically took the uh, Professor Bond in the cartoon, and he became like Professor Nelson. And then uh, they brought Linda Miller in, who was a uh, Japanese, or who was an American actor who was uh, doing modeling in Japan at the time, and she was sort of the the blonde who Kong falls for in the movie. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and they, you know, they made the Mechanicong, but they brought that in basically from the cartoon, so. And Rankin-Bass uh, distributed the movie over here. That was cool. I liked the Mechanicong. He looked very cool. I and did, too. They should have him and the... Uh, Godzilla's robot counterpart fight. Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla, yeah. That <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, I'm hoping with this Kong versus Godzilla movie, whenever it's coming out this year or next year, who knows? Uh, 
that eventually they'll introduce that Mecha Kong into the mythology. Well, no Mecha Kong. Supposedly Mecha Godzilla will be in it, though. Hey, one never knows. So, hey. So, anyway, we get through all the, the morass of Kong, which some people love, some people hate. I know a lot of the Kong purists hate the fact that he's, you know, in a fairly ratty ape suit in both movies. It was a little better in King Kong Escapes. A little. Yeah. But uh, in Godzilla, he just, I, I've always said this, he looks like a burn victim. He, it's <laughs> his face, it's so, he looks scarred. He looks awful. And I, I can't help but think there was some bias going in there where they didn't want Kong to to upstage Godzilla so they kind of made him look a little shoddy I don't, I don't know well, his, his, arm, just, his arms change length in the movie too because they no, have they some he, they have arm extensions yeah. so he has the long arms in some of the scenes where he's like running around and, and things but then when he's fighting and stuff he just has the normal short arms that, you know, well, human I'm glad proportions. nothing else extended in that film <laughs> um, yeah, and they gave him the electrical powers because you got to kind of compensate for Godzilla's radioactive breath and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's hard to look at Kong sometimes in it. I, I thought they did a little better work on the King Kong Escapes. King Kong Escapes has a good story, though. It's fun. I, I enjoy it. It's a fun little movie. I watched it uh, probably, I don't know, about three months ago. So mm-hmm. uh I actually have a DVD, so there you go. It's, you know, good little popcorn film. Yes, yes. And it has since come out on Blu-ray. You could upgrade. Oh, I can upgrade. I, I got so many things to upgrade. Let's not even go there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times I have to buy and rebuy these movies as VHS <laughs> turns to Laserdisc, turns to DVD, turns to Blu-ray, turns to 4K, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know. They're going to have implants pretty soon where you just stick something in your ear and you're actually in the movie. Yeah. Star Trek and Star Wars have done that to me so many times that I'm just not even not even going to talk about it. But Anyway. So I guess this brings us to Dino. Dino. Maya Kong. Maya Kong is going to be a beautiful <laughs> ape. <laughs> when the, my monkey dies, people going to cry. cry. <laughs> That's right. He did say that. My uh, my monkey. I was my monkey so psyched died. for that movie, guys. I was so excited as a little kid. And I had the John Berkey poster on my wall. You guys probably did too. I don't know. But that was the call. Well, everybody was, was waiting excited. for him to basically straddle the, the Twin Towers like he was in the movie, in the poster. Yeah. Well, and you know, the the thing is, Berkey, so Berkey was a great uh, sci-fi illustrator, did a lot of paperbacks and stuff, and he made like four different uh, posters for Kong, and they had four different heads, and then for whatever reason, marketing and, and others went in and they said, oh, we really like the expression on this one poster, the, the one that we wound up getting with his mouth wide open and kind of ferocious looking. And they put the same head on all four posters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, it doesn't work on all the other posters. It was like, no, we love the head. And they just slapped that same head on all four posters. Um, but yeah, this was the Kong. I love, I love both the 33 and the 76, but this was the one I got all excited for as a little kid. 
seeing the ads for it. And and I still like it, but it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, no dinosaurs, so that was kind of a bummer. Well, see, I was kind of let down mainly because at the time, and I was following this in various magazines, I was like hoarding monster magazines back then. And uh, at the time, Paramount and Universal were fighting over the rights to King Kong. And Universal had wanted to make a remake, same time that De Laurentiis was. And Universal wanted to set it in the 30s and use stop motion and all this. And I think they even Mm -hmm. wanted like Roman Polanski or someone to like direct the thing. And so it was, it was starting to sound pretty exciting. And then Dino got it and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, denigrate Rick Baker and his suit acting and his gorilla and all that. I, I loved it. But at the time it was just like, well, God, what, what would Universal have done? Probably would have had dinosaurs, probably would have had, you know, like, like I say, stop motion and everything else, but... It's interesting because I know Michael Eisner and some of the stuff I was reading was involved in that. And just as an aside, you know, he was involved with, you know, the motion picture. Eisner had a lot of, you know, some things took off, some things didn't Mm -hmm. take off. But the guy's been around for a while and had a lot of influence on a lot of pop culture, you know, these movies and stuff. Oh, no. Yeah. He definitely had a career before he hooked up with Disney. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting, though, how uh, the whole behind-the-scenes stuff with Carlo Rambaldi and Glenn Robinson and Rick Baker and, you know, Rambaldi. I mean, De Laurentiis was touting publicly all the stuff about, oh, we're going to build a giant Kong. We're going to use him for the whole movie, you know, and Rambaldi's my guy. He's going to build it. And really, when you, you read back on what happened, Rambaldi almost did nothing because Glenn Robinson came in and wound up making the mechanical arms that, you know, held uh, uh, Jessica, uh, Jessica Lang. Lang yeah. And uh, he did build most of the giant mechanical Kong, which didn't do jack bleep. It was in and like then, one scene, right, where he's caged. Yeah, basically, that's and then, about it. You know, and then Rick Baker breaks out of the cage, and they have a quick shot of this big robot who could only really just move his arms, right. kind of lifting the debris almost, a little bit, and that was it. Yeah, and and like one guy said, uh, while they were you know waiting for the to shoot the scene, a hydraulic thing broke on Kong's leg, and it looked like he was peeing down his leg. <laughs> um, so so much for the robot, but and then you know. Also, Baker had his issues with Carlo Rambaldi, and then they they both designed uh, their own face for Kong, and they let this, the effects team choose which face to go with, and they went with, with Baker's, thank God. I mean, Baker, I, I love the expressiveness that he gets in Kong's face. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he does so many things, and, and it's hydraulics and, and all that, you know, but... Um, his eyes, you can't, you know, downplay the eyes and the physicality and the movement and stuff. Uh, and I know he suffered a lot inside that, that suit, you know. Um, but uh, I really, I enjoy watching him. And there was another guy, I actually wrote down his name too. Will Shepard was his backup guy. Mm-hmm. So here's to you, Will Shepard. Um, he actually fell down in the pit 
when he breaks through the wall. And a funny story was that this Will Shepard guy, he was doing the pit thing. He fell into the pit and uh, he started to get up, but they hadn't called cut yet. And uh, he was so mad, he raised his fist up and he slammed it down and then he fell back down in the pit. And that was the actual take they took. They, they kept in the movie to kind of show like, Kong was fighting against the effects of the gas, but really it was the actor being pissed off that he'd lifted himself up before they called cut. Um, oh, Dino, but, was, know, Dino thought, was probably there saying, good, great. <laughs> oh, my ape, he's a struggle. He's struggling against the gas. <laughs> That's acting. Oh, <laughs> but, I, you know, despite the fact that there were no dinosaurs and the snake is terrible, um, I thought the scenes in New York were really good, like when he gets the train off the tracks and he's yeah. like mangling it and stuff. Well, see, they uh, put the they pot. put so much money into that big mechanical Kong that did nothing. Two million bucks. That they could have probably made a couple dinosaurs out of it. Oh yeah. But they just didn't have the confidence that they could pull off guys in suits as dinosaurs. I think it'd be hard. I mean, he was, you know, give me two million bucks. He's a gonna walk. He's a gonna talk. <laughs> There's a freaking a thing. And then it like pees and farts, and that's it. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, one of the hydraulics broke. All right, well, I don't know. It, you know, and I, I think what, what really was driving this was Jaws, right? Because they had a mechanical shark. Um. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. We gotta have a mechanical monkey. Yeah, but Dino, this thing is like you know, hundreds of feet. That's a no problem. I have a money. I have a backing. Anyway, well, the, the thing with the thing remember. with Bruce or the shark was that you know all he had to do was basically, you know, pop out of the water, open his mouth. I mean, he's not standing on land and having to walk around like an ape or a human. Yeah. Hey, tell it to Dino. But, but you guys, do you remember they had like a poster? It might have been like a, a book or a box of blueprints of the shark from Jaws. Hmm. I, I don't remember that. God, it, you know, maybe I'm dreaming it. And, and those of you guys listening, if you can comment on Facebook or whatever, I thought, I swear to God, that there was also a blueprint guide of the mechanical Kong that they built. Ah. And I looked on the Internet. I couldn't find anything related to that. So... Um, I don't know, maybe I dreamt it, but I could have swore. You know, I bet it exists. This stuff is, you know, there's always stuff floating around out there. Maybe yeah. somebody will point it out to us. That'd be great. I'd love to see it. Uh, yeah, I never bought it, but um, I remember seeing it. Anyway, onward. Rene Auberginois, the Star Trek connection to King Kong. Okay. Yeah. So did, e did either of you watch... King Kong lives. I could not find a uh, source on any of my streaming platforms, so unfortunately, I did not, or maybe fortunately, um, I did not get to watch it. So I don't know. I found it on DVD, and it's been out of print, so the DVDs are like eighty, ninety bucks, or some crazy oh. stuff like that. So uh, I kind of put the word out, and a friend of mine. William Ferguson, who lives in Japan, actually found a copy, a digital copy, and sent it to me. Wow. So I did watch King Kong Lives this last week. I pity, have never pity seen me, it. Pity me, pity me. Uh, I saw it back in the 80s. I don't know if it was on HBO or 
something. Um, I remember the female Kong. I remember the baby. Um, I remember a lot of missiles and explosions. Uh, I don't remember Linda Hamilton, but she was in it. So. No, yeah, no. She was definitely, she had a huge role in it. She was the one that uh, operated on Kong and gave him the uh, the bionic heart. Yeah. It was basically so, mechanical so- heart she put in. The premise is that after Kong fell off the World Trade Center, they put a mechanical heart in to keep him alive. To put him Basi- in a yeah. home, I think. And But basically, you know, it's like it has problems throughout the movie. You see him like clutching his chest in certain scenes and she's got this one device that's supposed to be able to fine tune it and things and it gets destroyed. So, but, uh, but Kong, you know, he's just like, there's these like redneck hunters that are after him and they end up causing a landslide and he's buried, you know, basically shoulder deep in a bunch of rock. And so they're, you know, throwing beer cans at him and, you know, just basically taunting him. They're using like, they got torches from their fire that they're like poking him with it, you know, burning him and stuff. So he ends up obviously just like getting fed up and breaks out of the rocks and, takes care of all them yeah i mean basically the movie is him chasing the female and uh everybody else chasing him and you know at the end the female does have a baby another son of female come from she was just another of his species that was on the island okay so yeah so sure so that basically uh you know I can't remember who the actor was. But anyway, he you know, he's the one who brings her back and tries to sell her, you know, like Kong to all these different, you know, basically puts her up for auction. And the university that has Kong and is reviving him ends up buying her. And, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's a total mess, basically. But It sounds like it. Entertaining in places, but a mess in others. Maybe this is why it never uh, hit Blu-ray from DVD and just <laughs> just went out of print, and now no one can find it. Yeah, it would have been interesting if, besides the pacemaker, the mechanical heart, they would have gave him like a mechanical foot and like a mechanical eye, <laughs> kind of made like a bionic Kong, kind of mecha early mecha Kong. I don't know what could have been. Well, yeah, this is definitely after Six like Million Dollar Man 72. because uh, this was like 86 they made uh, King Kong Lives. Yeah. It was like 10 uh, years after the Dino Kong. Oh. Yeah, Bionic Man was like 72 to 78 or something like that. So uh, I think Bionics was still big then, but yeah, no, they just went for the heart. <laughs> went for the heart. So again, I, I guess that kind of killed off Kong because it was like a long... A long rest for the big ape until until Peter Jackson came along. That's a long time too. You'd think yeah. that someone would have wanted to do something. I was like, what, early. twenty years or something? Yeah. I mean, they'd had video games, you know, the Donkey Kong craze and all that. You'd think they would have. Well, plus the original kept coming back. You know, every every important That's- anniversary. Right, right. That is a good point. But I think Peter Jackson was the driving force behind that movie. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I I am not a fan of the Peter Jackson Kong. Um, 
there are some scenes you know that are that are that are cool it was a long movie though real I, long movie i'm it's interesting i thought i was probably going to be the lone voice here but i can't stand that movie i i got to say i really don't like that movie it's it's look it's a simple story it's a monster story it's beauty and the beast it needs to be 90 minutes 2 hours long that's all it needs he's mm-hmm. trying to tell the grapes of wrath he's trying to do like King Kong, The Grapes of Wrath, or I don't know what else, some other story. He's trying to put three movies in there. Well, that's that was his huge love letter to Kong, and it's like, well, Lord of the Rings. I mean, all those movies were, well, director's cuts were like four and a half hours or something. Right. It's like, dude, learn how to edit. <laughs> and and he's like in love with Naomi Watts or whatever. It's like, I don't know how many times that camera spent like 20 minutes on her face. And it's like, <laughs> I know like Hitchcock was always in love with his, his uh, leading ladies or whatever. But like, dude, dude, you know. It was, almo- it was almost like Kirk and Scotty flying around the Enterprise. All right. All right. <laughs> but, but yeah, seriously. I uh, And plus... The ape, okay, the Kong model is not a particularly appealing model, and he's got this sneer on his face, and then I realized... scar, right? Well, yeah, he's got like a scar, but he's got kind of this like, I smell a fart look on his face, like he's got a sneer, and then when I watched the new Planet of the Apes... Caesar, the adult Caesar, has the same sneer, and I realized it's Andy Circus. He's doing the same face for Kong and and adult Caesar. It's like, why, why? Uh, uh. So yeah, I just, I'm out. I'm out. I couldn't watch it again. But anyway, I, I, I did not watch it this week, even though I suffered through King Kong Lives. I even watched Conga, <laughs> but I couldn't. I just could. I didn't have like a day and a half to devote to watching. <laughs> Peter Jackson's yeah. Kong. I mean, it had its its moments. I mean, it you know, Kong it fighting the it wasn't T Rex. I had like a V Rex or something. Three oh, of them. Yeah. yeah, three or four of them, and like, he's you know falling and stuff, and the uh, the big brontosaurus stampede and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it has its cool parts. Once it hit New York, though, it lost me. Once there, well, once he's the like sliding page. around the ice rink, and yeah, forget it. Yeah. Now, now you, you listeners can tell why we're friends is that whenever dinosaurs show up in a movie, we're all in like the same page. Oh, yeah, that was the best part of the movie. Brontosaurus. <laughs> right. Dinosaurs came like, in. That was great. Hey, you know, everything else. <laughs> I agree. I, you know, the, the dinosaur stuff, the stuff on the island was was really good. And then when they got to New York, it was like, you know, Kong wasn't the only one trying to smell a fart. <laughs> I just I, that was one of those movies. Uh, I was we were in the theater. Me and my ex were in the theater, and we just I don't know how many times we looked at each other and we were like, "What? What? It, what's going on? Why we? Why do we need this? Why is it going so long? What's going on? Why? It's a monster movie." So, yeah, I did I did watch it again when it came on one of the the services, and it, it just because I always want to confirm my opinion. Sometimes you go in to see mm-hmm. a movie. And you're in a mood or something, and for some reason you don't like a movie. So I always like to see it again when it comes on, you know, TV. But, yeah, just, I just, I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me. It just, like, infuriates me, obviously. Well, you know, as the movie starts off, you're like, come on, get to the island, get to the island. And then once they get to the island, you're like, come on, get to New York, get to New York. (laughs) And then they get to New York, and they're like, no, go back to the island. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got hung up. I was like, what the hell is Jack Black doing in this film? Why is he funny? Uh, yeah, that was total mis- miscasting. Just, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> but I think Kong got a little redemption after that, though. Oh. Because then yeah. we've got Kong Skull Island, which... Oh, yeah. Definitely, I, I love that movie. I think that's probably the best of the legendary MonsterVerse movies. And this coming from a <laughs> Godzilla fan, right? I am so surprised, Bob. I really am. I, I, I would agree with you. But, uh, yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that. No, I mean, I thought it was done really well. And, you know, even though he didn't, quote, fight dinosaurs, I mean, you know, he had the skull walkers and the big octopus and mm-hmm. all that. And, you know, he's he's showing intelligence by using weapons. He's got that propeller blade on the chain. Yeah. And he's, like, flinging around. And, uh, no, I just, I even love the beginning of the movie where the one pilot and the Japanese, you know, pilot, the U.S. pilot and Japanese pilot crash land and uh, the U.S. pilot runs out of bullets and the Japanese pilot is like chasing him with a sword. They're fighting it out on the edge of a cliff and suddenly this big gorilla head comes popping up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I think one of the smart things they did was they had a really good cast. Oh, they had an Um, excellent cast. Right. So the cast was so interesting that when Kong's not on the screen, you're still really drawn uh, to what's going on with the cast. You know, you got Samuel Jackson and John Goodman and John C. Riley. So they're always interesting in whatever they do. And the story was compelling. It was interesting with the Marvel uh, connection. You had uh, Sam Jackson, so Nick Fury. You had Loki and Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You think between the that. three of them, they could have taken on that big ape, but <laughs> but no. I I really really love um, whenever and and it shouldn't be a bold decision, but when you do a period piece and you decide to do something outside of the year that the film is being released, um, I, I it was like Apocalypse Now meets. Kong, you know, mm-hmm. helicopters and the, you know, the World War II element was great. Um, I also liked Sam Jackson as like the main adversary for Kong. It was, you know, they made reference to to the the great white whale, you know, Captain Ahab and and um, right. you know, Jackson. It, it was just great between between Jackson and Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, kind of the back and forth between them. Yeah, I, I think he's a great actor. I think he he can play any role you throw his way. Um, Hiddleston was great. You know, I've only ever known him as Loki, and he he was very heroic in this film and a, and a good leader. Um, you know, to get them off the island. And I I, I adore John C. Riley. I mean, he did such a great job in in the Laurel and Hardy film. Um, he, he's he's more dynamic of an actor than people give him credit for. Yeah, he he was able to uh, do all the comedy stuff, but then also the stuff where he's talking about how he eventually became friends with the Japanese pilot, mm-hmm. and you can see all the emotion he felt for him, and you know talking about his friend and oh we were going to leave here together and all that stuff. So that was great. Yeah. Um, I did miss the dinosaur. I do wish they had worked in a dinosaur or two. Mm. That would have been nice. But, you know, um, the other stuff that they had wasn't wasn't bad. And I love the look of Kong in this. I thought it was really, you know, they it wasn't like super ape-like because he wasn't, you know, down on all fours kind of brachiating mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. But then he, he was... Uh, 
he wasn't too human like either. There was a nice like in between. And I think they've legendary has even said it's like he's no, he's not just a giant gorilla, he's gorilla like. He's a monster, but, basically. But yeah, he's yeah, he's a different He's creature. like the missing link. Right? But they but they also yeah, set the right. movie in nineteen seventy three because he's just a he's a quote little Kong. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's got bigger. you know He's got all these years, about almost 50 years of growing before he has to go up against Godzilla mm-hmm. with his beard and whatever they have in the movie. Yeah, it's like, yo, he's going to have a beard. I don't know. Okay, sure. I mean, th- you know, for a movie that kept getting pushed back, you'd think there would have been a, he- a lot of leaks about the movie, but there really hasn't been much at all. You know, the main, leaks, okay the main leaks have been the toys that they right. announced. And you see, like that there is a, quote, Mechagodzilla. And there's also one of Kong's accessories is an axe that's made out of one of Godzilla's fins. Huh. So that tells you a little something. Spoiler alert, listeners. (laughs) And there's also a a Godzilla figure that has, like, this huge, like, back brace on. So... Well, you got to be careful with the toys. I know, like, uh, some of the Superman or Justice League or Star Wars stuff comes out, and it's like, well, wait, that was never in the movie. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's no, all, the movie could totally change. Toy, so. You know, who knows? But, yeah. um, you know, it has had a couple test screenings and has done really well, so fingers um, crossed. Yeah. Hey, so what do you guys think? This is the first of the, well, sort of mainstream King Kong movies where they moved away from the whole Beauty and the Beast theme. They told a completely different story. I mean, I liked it. Uh, I know some people complained and they said, well, it's got to be a tragedy and everything. But the thing is, they're going to move him along like we're talking about. He's going to go on and he's going to fight Godzilla and stuff. So you can't kill him at the end. Um, I don't have any problem with it not being a Beauty and the Beast thing, but I wondered if you guys felt anything about that. Well, yeah, that. It's, it's always been Beauty Kill the Beast, and there was a little bit of that with Brie Larson, where he yeah. he saves her, you know, but it wasn't <clears throat> overt, you know. I He mainly saved her because, you know, she and Tom Hiddleston kind of saved him earlier. It wasn't like a, hey, look at her, you know. Right. No but, obsession over her. Yeah, yeah. The way I'm kind of looking at things is... They haven't really announced anything beyond Godzilla versus Kong. Now, Toho wants to go back and recreate their whole monster verse, and uh, that's obviously going to, they're going to be making new Godzilla movies. But Godzilla versus Kong is the last one under contract for Legendary. However, they can do whatever they want with Kong because they're affiliated with Universal, who owns the rights. So I'm thinking, you know, this is the this is a movie where they make the segue from Godzilla to Kong, and Kong will carry the monsterverse. Hmm. Now, whether that means that Godzilla gets knocked off, I think it's in the contract they can't kill him. But I guess they can maim him or whatever. Because <laughs> the interesting thing is, in the legendary stuff, whether it's Kong Skull Island. Or Godzilla versus Kong, not King Kong, but Kong. He's never been King Kong in, in either of those movies. Hmm. Whereas Godzilla King of the Monsters established that when Godzilla 
defeated King Ghidorah, he became like king of the monsters. So does that mean that Kong would defeat Godzilla and become King Kong going forward? Hmm. And carry the movie franchise from there? Things I, to think about. I never thought of this. Give me something to ponder. Something to ponder upon. That and the giant door. That's right. <laughs> I don't think you can get Godzilla through that door. <laughs> so Kong's probably outgrown the door by now, too. Yeah. Need a big you know, door. And, and I was thinking, so if they do, you know, follow the MonsterVerse, Godzilla's lair or wherever, whatever you call that, where he regenerates or gets his, it's gone now. So unless there's another one somewhere on Earth. Godzilla has to be careful fighting Kong and any other monsters moving forward. And, you know, that that one guy, are they going to do like a Mecha King Ghidra? They had one of the heads at the end of the movie. Who knows, you know? I think that's more for the DNA than anything else, but... Mm. Yeah, so it'll be interesting, but um, we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Was it March of next year at this point uh, right Fingers now that's thing. yeah we may be watching it in our homes who knows <laughs> I hope not but well, so what else do we have related to Kong well like I say you know there was there were some movies that we just kind of glossed over you know that weren't exactly I mean it was like King of Kong Island and Queen Kong and Konga and you could go into Schlock and Ape <laughs> Mighty <laughs> Peking Man I mean it's, you know <laughs> There's a lot well, of there's, stuff. There's even like other cartoons. I tried watching some of the new cartoons, but I, I just couldn't get into it. Isn't he like blue or something? Uh, it's just a style of animation that I couldn't, I don't know. It, it, it's just too blocky, like ge- weird geometrical kind of stuff well, going on. The thing I came to a King Kong cartoon was back in the 70s. It was called Grape Ape, and the thing was great. Grape Ape. I mean, I remember growing up in the 60s and watching the old Rankin-Bass cartoon and just loving it. I remember the Rankin-Bass cartoons and um, Bob Ekman shows them at the uh, uh, Psychotronic shows now and again. I was going to mention the, uh, there's a really good documentary called Long Live the King. Hmm. Frank oh, Dietz yes. and Trish Geiger. We did yeah. the premiere of that at the Bell Theater for Bay Area Film Events. We had Frank uh-huh. up and Trish was there and Dana Gould and like three or four other people. And uh, yeah, that was right when the, when they released the King Kong wine. And <laughs> we found it like two days before the show. Like, hey, check this out. We bought a case and we were like giving out the wine to all the, all the guests that were at the show. So they were like, they watched the movie and they answered their Q&A and then they all went up in the green room and just got sloshed on these balls of wine. <laughs> but uh, no, Frank Dietz is a good friend and uh, yeah, it, it was a great documentary. I, in fact, I did rewatch it this last week too. Mm-hmm. I think it's on Amazon. It could be on some other things. Yeah, it's on but, Amazon uh, Prime. Yeah, it's a, it's a really solid documentary. Cool. Well, any last words for the King of Kong? He's still the king. All right. Long live the king. There we go. All right. That's going to move us into this episode's censor sweep. Yours truly has the honors. Uh, I, you know, have a love of Tiki besides sci-fi superheroes and 
whenever they mash up some of the genre-related stuff with Tiki, I'm a little skeptical. Um, nothing against those that love the Captain Kirk Tiki mug or the Gorn Tiki mug. I abstained. I just couldn't find a nexus that worked for me between Star Trek and Tiki, but I do have the job of the Hut Tiki mug, so go figure. That being said, there is a company called Mondo, and Mondo does... We all own Mondo products among the three of us. Uh, figures, T-shirts, uh, now Tiki mugs, pins, and, and all kinds of stuff. So if you get a chance, go check out Mondo. Chances are your favorite genre-related item is in some form of production of a shirt or a puzzle, whatever. Uh, what I did is I picked up the Jaws, the Bruce the Shark uh, Tiki mug, and it's it's really cool. Um, you know, there's remnants of the Orca uh, ship that, that Jaws attacks at the end of the film on the base of the mug. It's huge. I, I, I forget how many ounces it holds. I think it's like you know, 32 ounces or a half gallon. I, I can't. <laughs> that much alcohol is going to be in there. But it's a beautiful um, rendering of the shark. And, it, you know, has little tiki elements on it as well. The other item I wanted to share is from the good folks at Tiki Farm. And uh, they're online as well. Um, they have a King Kong tiki mug. And, and this thing is cool. So you got like Kong's body on the front. And he's kind of perched up on this like temple. And he's holding a giant tiki. And as you turn the mug around, there's like, you know, uh, parts of Skull Island on the back of the mug. And that's just a standard tiki mug. You know, you can put your favorite libation in it. And... Uh, uh, enjoy your weekend or, or your uh, Friday night, as it were, while you're watching King Kong and or Jaws. Or I tell you what, you can have a double shot and a double feature and then you really start your weekend off great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy those mugs. Uh, they're up in my Tiki Lounge on shelves. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to find shelves. Um I know Karen has a little tiki uh, shelf thing going on at her place. Bob has a full, full-fledged bar, <laughs> and it was a patio at first, right, Bob? And now it's it was just a like, patio, and now it's like expanding to take up the whole backyard. I was going to oh, say man. it's basically your backyard now. If you guys follow Bob, he's got beautiful pictures of of his expansion. You're gonna have uh, to put that on uh, Twitter. Well, see, like my house is like it's like Disneyland. <laughs> you know, you've got like Tomorrowland and Frontierland and Adventureland or whatever. And I've got the monster garage and the tiki yard and the creature corner and the monster basement and whatever. That so. is true. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> um, See, no, I was, I was living is- a while with no adult supervision. <laughs> and now Lieutenant Debbie is here and she's more of a, uh, I don't want to say an instigator, but an enabler maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, jazz is great. Jazz does the same thing here. I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to throw this up on Evie. No, no, you can't get rid of that. You've had it, you know. So, um, but my stuff, does, I, I try to do like themes and corners of the wall, but, it, you know, as time's gone on, everything's just everywhere. There's Harryhausen by the Star Trek ships and... I'll always put on, you know, to Bob and Karen and I text, and it's like, oh, where am I going to put this? Bob, just keep moving things to the side and just fit in there. <laughs> I do that in the Monster Garage. In fact, I'm going and driving down to my friend Brad Warner's house next weekend, and uh, he's 
basically paring down his collection quite a bit and just basically giving a bunch of stuff to me. So I sat here in the monster garage pushing things closer together, trying to get a little <laughs> shelf space here and a little shelf space there and in anticipation of uh, filling my truck with stuff next week and bringing it home. Well, you know, that reminds me, I was going to text you, Bob, but I'll just put it on the podcast. Should a spare beta capsule show up in the collection? Uh, I <laughs> never have enough beta capsules. <laughs> you know, I had the chance to get one at a convention once, and I opted for the whistle for Goldar instead. Uh, hey, see, I don't have one of those. So. Uh, well. There you go. <laughs> one man's treasure. I'll trade you a beta capsule for a Goldar whistle. <laughs> But speaking of all that kind of stuff, I guess we all have sort of our side projects going now. Uh, yeah, as not, we that we're gonna, not that we're going to split up or anything, but uh, we've all <laughs> no, kind of no, branched out of like it. No, no, it's like the bands, you know, they all put out solo albums and then they come back together and do the album together, right? That works. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, what do we got? Should I start? You guys want to start? Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure, Bob. Go ahead. Well, it's funny that we're doing this King Kong podcast, and while I do it, I'm surrounded by Ultraman stuff and wearing an Ultraman shirt <laughs> because we're, I'm going on live at one o'clock today uh, to do an Ultraman panel with uh, Keith Aiken and Gaz Gretzky uh, for Kyle Yount's Kaiju Conline, which has been a all weekend convention for Godzilla basically and all his rubber monster suited foes and uh, it'll be we'll post a link it'll be uh, archived somewhere on YouTube so you can watch it later uh, but yeah that that's one thing that I'm I'm doing the end of July which uh, this is coming out I believe July 22nd so probably in a week or so you'll be able to buy a big box set of all the Gamera films the uh, original Mutant Ninja Turtle. And uh, <laughs> Keith Aiken and I are doing the audio, co we've already done, the audio commentary for Gamera the Brave, which was the last Gamera movie. So we're on that box set. We previously did the uh, audio commentary for Terror of Mechagodzilla on the old classic media discs, but uh, we got brought back for Gamera the Brave. So <laughs> it was kind of cool, and we're on that. Yeah, and then as far as uh, Bay Area film events goes, we're kind of dead in the water right now until movie theaters mm. start opening again. So we've had to cancel three shows so far, the Anime Weekend and Godzilla Fest and the thing, Thingathon. And uh, oh, we're hoping... Too? The Thingathon? Yep, 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 yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Damn you, Corona! That's right. I know. Because uh, Gavin Newsom just will not let these theaters open. He, he's pushing stuff back. So as he pushed stuff back, we got to push stuff back. So mm -hmm. so in the meantime, I'm doing Planet Aid and audio commentaries and video panels and whatever. Well, we'll Very do what good, we sir. can, right? We'll That's reach right. out to our fellow geeks in any way we can. Walker, what you got going on? Uh, you know, I don't know. I just decided I can't do enough on Twitter. So I decided to go back and start blogging. I used to blog years ago with my, my friend, Doug, we used to do bronze age babies. We did that for about seven years, mostly on comics. And, uh, I'm not going to blog as much as we used to. We used to do it about 
five to seven days a week. But we also had guest writers when we were doing Bronze Age Babies. So I'm probably going to do once or twice a week. Um, I opened up a, a blog called Echoes from the Satellite. Might sound familiar. So it's just echoesfromthesatellite.blogspot.com. I've done about, I think, about five posts so far. Uh, mostly just going to focus on sci-fi because that seems to be where my head is at nowadays. Just, uh, uh, you know, movies, TV, books, just anything that kind of hits my my uh, brain, my fevered brain that I feel <laughs> the need to do more than 140 characters on, on Twitter. So, And, of course, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So those are my main outlets besides our podcast. And Larry, I feel like you have some things going on. I, I do. I do. And first, let me just say, uh, if you guys have not checked out the Bay Area Film Events page, do so. Echoes from the Satellite as well. Um, Bob puts on a good show uh, when he's allowed to put on a show. When Great we can. Lineup. Um, the artist alley that you have in there, Kevin has his, you know, booth always set up. And, you know, Karen, I, I still have your uh, articles that you've written for various uh, publications. Uh, <laughs> you write better than you give yourself quality for, and I'm still hoping that those novels get published. Uh, uh, that's a lot of work. I, we'll see. <laughs> somehow. Um, anyway, I, I, I won't get too far into that, but uh, Echoes from the Satellite's a lot of fun. I've left some comments there. And I love Planet 8. I enjoy tremendously talking with Bob and Karen. Uh, at some point in time, we may have uh, more video up on YouTube. Uh, last time I checked, we're almost at 80 likes for our sensor sweep video oh, uh, nice. as of early, mid-July. Um, and I just thought, you know, it would be fun to put something out there that, uh, you know, we try not to be political on Planet 8. It's it's a neutral. It's not saying that we back one way or the other, but we just try to avoid those types of things. Uh, I started a page on YouTube. It's Larry Land USA. Uh, I'm going to put a video up there because I should have explained why it's Larry Land USA. I'm a big Disneyland fan. And when Walt first opened up the park, it was Disneyland USA. And that was way before, um, you know, the, the safari and Disney World and Epcot and all that kind of stuff. So Larry Land USA. I had no idea that there were farmers and rock bands that go by Larry Land USA. <laughs> so I'm going to be hard to find on YouTube, but I am there. Um, I do reference discussions that we have here on the podcast. Um, full disclosure, I, I went into more detail on my love of Batman v Superman and why I think it worked. <laughs> um, no comment. You know, there, yeah. <laughs> there are little glitches and I'll, I'll say, God, I wish Bob was here to help with the sound or God, what was the name of that actor? I wish Karen was here so I could, you know, remember the name of that actor because I'm, I'm just doing it off the cuff. I have no notes, no, you know, plans or anything like that. But it's just meant to, to be fun. Uh, just like Planet 8, but to just kind of go in a different direction. And it's a lot shorter. It's meant to be about 20, 30 minutes, maybe every month. We'll see. Cool. All right. So I guess eventually, though, we'll get the band back together for another episode coming out on the 8th, right? 
Oh, yes, yeah. yes. We've already started discussing, and I'm sure when we when we cut uh, this podcast, we'll finish our discussion on what's coming up next on Planet Eight. So stay tuned. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet Eight. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.